let's read this morning from uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath far me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's righteousness, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. Well, let's think about this uh, passage we've got for us this morning then. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, when I was still doing my training, in fact, at the uh, uh one of our friends, a good friend of mine, was uh, getting married. And so we, the group of guys, wanted to do a obligatory thing, and we never actually sang in these days. And we went on a weekend away together. And the idea was, was to climb Snowdon together um, up in Wales. And so we went on this trip to Snowdon, we camped overnight the next day, went to uh, the foot of Snowdon. I love Snowdon. Beautiful place, there's a stream there. Beautiful place to climb up and uh, see the sights from. Um, and uh, on the day that we went to, to climb it ourselves, we had done what we were supposed to do, we checked the weather forecast. The weather was quite middling, we were saying, on the day. We got to the foot of the mountain, checked the board at the bottom of the mountain. It said, the weather should remain okay, but get a bit, you know, uh, uh, rain spotting in places later on, and have a little bit of wind, and so on and so forth. So we thought, okay, we shall climb the mountain. Um, and we were taking, in fact, the toughest route up the mountain, because it's what you do to get married, and we put it back in Troy. Um, and we, we set off towards this place that, uh, well, we didn't get much of a crack. And uh, our, our uh, groom and our best man who were leading the way um, we reached a place where you had to climb up a little bit, uh, scramble up some rocks to get to the next stage of the car. And by this point, the problem was the weather had kind of changed a bit. It wasn't quite what we expected. It had gone from being fairly still and nondescript to the wind coming in, the rain lashing in the side and almost horizontal, it was, it was pretty bad by this point. Three of our guys managed to 
probably saw the rock uh, age that we found. But then one of my friends fortunately spoke up and said, Do you know what? I really don't think this is a good idea. Fortunately, most of us agree, and we all went, No, we don't think this is a good idea either. We think the other one looks pretty awful to us. And so we said, that we're not going to be able to do this, are we? Realistically. So how about rather than you guys come back down again, we'll make our way back down the path, uh, you can go around to the next way down to the original path, and we'll leave it in the We just don't feel bad in this, unfortunately, because it's just not, it's not safe enough, well, it's not good, good enough for us to get up the top. So anyway, we headed down the mountain, seven of us today, and met in the cafe at the bottom. And we were waiting for our friends to arrive, because we would have gone on ahead. And we waited. Half an hour went by, still waiting. 45 minutes, still no word. Try to call them, but you can't get mobile signal on a mountain very easily. You couldn't get hold of them. And we were really worried. And it was as we walked, uh, I made our way round from the cafe out towards the, uh, the front door. We just had a look and see if we could see them. But we heard from the office crackling in that staticky way that you know radios do. Crackle, crackle. Um, there's three guys stuck on the side of Snowden. They're going to need the mountain rescue. Reason for all that explains why we haven't seen them then. They're stuck on the mountain. Um, about 45 minutes later, we were taken down to the mountain rescue centre. We said, well, we're with them. We are with them. We were worried about it. We don't know what happened to them. They just went up ahead of us and carried on. Um, found them again at the mountain rescue centre a little while later on. They had to have a team go up and rescue them. They were huddled, so they couldn't go forwards, wasn't safe. Couldn't go backwards and down the mountain, wasn't safe. They got so still on the edge, and the mountain rescue guys had to come up and save them. They said afterwards, which the best man did, he said they had to abseil them off the side of this crack, that's the way they rescued them. Uh, our best man said, it would have been fortunate if we didn't try to do it otherwise. I don't know about the attitude to take, but anyway. And we went to the mountain rescue centre afterwards. They had to be rescued off of the side of Snowden. We were, we were, they were, one of those stories that you hear about where something goes wrong and you need a rescue. You've got to get out somehow, but you can't do it yourself. You need someone to come and help you. Now,
Ele se modifique o lado. Não direcionando para o pobre. Ou para o pobre. Ele se direciona. Eu vou ter. Um, 
explain why it's a miracle. It's really, really did that happen? This sort of thing. There's even one explanation of this story from a Bible commentary in the 18th century, okay, where apparently what this chap said happened was is that Jonah, having been called by God to Nineveh, he went to the local pub, which was called, wait for it, the Fish Inn, and he stayed there three days drinking, which is how he forgot what he was supposed to do and didn't end up going to Nineveh at all. And the story is all about the perils of drink, therefore. This is a Bible commentary somewhere. Okay, this is the Bible Be careful what we read. Now we've got no reason, as we say, we've got no reason to doubt the account that we have before just as the Bible tells it to us. Bottom line is, if we can believe that God is powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth, that he's powerful enough to create creatures and nature and uh, animals and us, then we can believe that he is able to send a fish or whatever it was to go and collect Jonah, stay, have him in his bed for three nights, and then spit him out on shore again a little while later. We don't have to go on these common crazy explanations to make it more palatable. Just keep it simple. Go with what the Bible says. In fact, we the word for fish. Um, could be all sorts of things because they don't have separate words for whale or fish or uh, shark. If it was basically if it was digging in the water, it's a fish, it's just a fish. Um, there weren't particularly ocean-going people, uh, Jewish people, at uh, those times. It's just a fish. That's what they call it. And so, we believe in the miracles at all or great God, no reason to doubt. And we've got no reason to doubt this fish could have been big enough to accommodate Jonah either. There are stories out there of uh, whales, for example, eating things that are much harder to than a human being and swallowing them whole. It happens. Now, I think probably what we're all thinking about at this point is swallowed whole sounds a little bit brutal, doesn't it? It does. Three days in the belly of a fish. Digestive juices probably being involved. I mean, it sounds a bit good, doesn't it? Um, you think so. <laughs> What Jonah looked like when he'd been vomited out from the shore afterwards, he wasn't there thinking about it, does it? And we talk about fights in the night, and you've got a bit of a scare, I think. Another question people have, though, is was Jonah actually dead? Was he alive or dead in the belly of the fish? What was happening there? We're not actually told. The Hebrew word for swallow in verse 17 means devour or destroy, so I thought, well, if he's not dead, he's pretty close to it. It isn't a pleasant children, but it's really a difficult experience going on here. But whatever may be the case, chapter 2 opens with him praying inside the belly of the fish, so it seems that he's cognizant and able, wherever he is, to call upon God and speak to him directly. But you know, the thing most notice about the text, all of those sorts of things, questions that surround it, what we're supposed to take about in the text itself is not those things. It's the time scale of God. How long was Jonah in the belly of fish? Three days and three nights. In fact, if you fast forward to Jesus and Matthew chapter 12 in the New Testament, um, he actually references what's called the sign of Jonah taken from the Old Testament. He just talked about it directly. Some Pharisees go to him 
And they say, show us a sign. They don't want to love the sign. They did a miracle going on. That's great. We want a sign. We want you to show us something to prove, or prove to us that you're, you're God. Who's the sign? And Jesus turns around to the Pharisees and says to them, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus himself, Christ and Jesus himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. One three days and three nights? Because Jesus is in the ground three days. And in Hebrew culture, if you had passed away and hadn't basically come back in three days, you were considered really true to God. Okay, they believed that the soul lingered for a little while afterwards. And in fact, remember we looked at the story of Lazarus a few weeks ago. Jesus waits four days before going to Lazarus. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to make a point. This is not just reuniting Lazarus's spirit with his body here. This is Lazarus being raised from the dead. He's really gone. And Jesus is really going to raise him back from death himself. Three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And of course, we don't just see Lazarus in there. We see Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus has finished talking to the Pharisees about the sign of Jonah with these words. And now something greater than Jonah is here. If you look in the Old Testament, point to something that's going to happen in the New Testament. And that's what we see. And that's the point about verse 17 about three days in the great fish. The means of Jonah's rescue points to the means of our own rescue. Did you ever think you would see Jesus from a book about a whale or a fish? And someone being thrown overboard? He's right here among the pages. Right there. Among the pages. Resurrection of Jesus on our behalf to be the Savior and to show that death itself is defeated by him. And surely, loved by children and adults, the world better. And let's get to chapter 2 then, in the prayer itself, because one thing, the rescue, leads to another. Because, of course, there's another item in the room in the story, isn't there? And that's Jonah himself. Where does he personally come into all this? 800 years before Christ. Well, the message this week is time for a prophet to be, and so surely the connection is going to be something to do with that. Something to do with his own life. And this prayer must link with something to do with Jonah himself and what he Done. The method of rescue is miraculous. But there's one point in the very fast part of the story. Focus on the great fish, and you might lose sight of the great God. Now, 
course, naturally, we're amazed by God's preserving creation. And of course, a great fish is going to start being refreshed. But the prayer of chapter 2 reveals that there's something far deeper going on what's going on in Germany, in his soul, in his heart. There's changes taking place. Um, uh, and, and even if it looks at a fixed point that we get to hold on to in Jesus, it's quite a bit of a process for us, isn't it? To see a rescue taking place, see the message of Jesus and the good news that he is the Saviour and Lord, but it's quite another process for us to go on that path being restored to God. Because you know all about Jesus, you know all about his message, but it doesn't necessarily be restored to you to be restored to him. We all have to go on a process of restoration. And that's what happens to the gender. I don't know if you've really watched a TV show, um, Long Lost Family. You come across that show on TV? Uh, incredible show if you ever get a chance to watch it. Um, it's about where, where family members, usually sons or daughters who have been um, uh, given up at birth or put up for adoption at a young age, they, they go about the process of trying to find usually their, their birth mother or father long lost from years ago, or, or if the parents have passed away, other siblings or family members to reconnect them with their, with their blood family. Uh, and usually it all is well in the stories. There's a two-step process that goes on every time. First there's the news that someone's been found, and it's, it's good news. The person's alive and that a relationship might therefore be possible, and there's always this moment where they get told the news, and there's, it's almost, almost as if there's a, an intake of breath, sort of, wow, <laughs> you know, there's a possibility that I might see them again, there is a possibility of that. And uh, you can see the look on their faces as the news settles in and hearing it. But of course, the most heartwarming and meaningful part of the show is, of course, not that the news that a relationship may be possible, but it's when two people they actually meet. They actually meet. Sometimes after many years, and the relationship is actually restored. Every single time it's such a touching moment, and there's, there's tears and smiles and apologies often made, all under the camera because he thinks, of course, great TV, but a wonderful moment when they're reunited and they're restored. I think it's a difference, isn't it? Knowing something's news is one thing, it can be great news. But going on the process of being restored is a whole different thing. And that's what James' prayer is really all about. The grace and mercy of God to accept back one who acted rashly and dishonoring to him, to his face no less, and to so speak on solid ground again that he too may be used in the kingdom of God for God's glory and his purpose. This in many ways is not a happy story. Not like this, but it's not really a happy story. It's a tough love story. Jonah rebels. He sins and he's paying the price. He's running from God's call, and that is a dangerous place to be. You know, I'll say it again, I've said it before here. We are kidding ourselves if God.
generates that same fear to us. Uh, you know, that advantage we, we all live, don't we? We all, inside of God, we all live in blind spots. That much is true. But let's face it, the vast majority of time, like Jonah, we know when we're doing something that God would not want us to do. Or at least, we don't have to find that out. <laughs> He's given us his words. We can read all about it, lots of us. Yeah, I was doing this service to anyone here. I, as, as the pastor here, but I didn't say, you know, if you're moving in consistency, if you're running from God in an area of life like Jonah, I'm doing this service if I want to say that God isn't going to take that money. But he's going to take some action at some point. Now he has, wonderfully, gloriously, in Jesus Christ, he has done the full and final thing for us. His grace is available to us. It's the ultimate, the wonderful part about Christian faith is that He's provided Jesus so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be restored, so that we can have a relationship with you with our Father God. God has acted in His life. But what He doesn't allow us to do is to then do it's not what God's grace does for us. In fact, God would say in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And the price is the blood of Jesus Christ. He is immeasurably more than we can even imagine. Anything we can ever ask of him. It's beyond our comprehension. And yet he was the one who lived and died for us, broken on cross, shedding his blood, so that we can have even just a hope of a relationship with soul with God our Father. That's the gospel. And so when I say to it, I'm not saying to condemn. I say it with all the love in the world, in fact. I hope anyone who knows you, I'm not going to condemn you all. That's not my character. But I am here to say what God can say about things. And sometimes we need to hear the truth of what God can say to us. For us to be an effective church, you know, we've got to be not just about the grace of God. Which is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I want to talk about the grace of God. <laughs> Put my hand in the air. Let's talk about the wonderful grace of God. I was given the sun for us. I'm an author of that. Wonderful. But you know, we've also got to talk about the holiness of God, too. Because God is gracious, but He's also holy. And I tell you, it's not a popular topic in the church today. We love to talk about grace. We want to be on our knees. And yet God says to us, Be holy. Be holy, my people, as I am. I'm not grace. I welcome you in to be to join in that holiness, to see it for yourselves, to taste and see that the Lord is good, and that his word is right for us. 
us and gives to us and loves towards us. That by his grace he might establish a people who are different to the world around us and therefore might shine to the world. That's what's going on. If you've ever been caught at sea, 
you'll know what that feels like. It's a scary place to be. It doesn't feel very comfortable. But aside, the uncomfortable waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head, I love the detail in the gears. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. There is nowhere lower here that a journey can go. Nowhere lower, he's in the depths, at the bottom, the lowest of the low, wrapped in seaweed, engulfed by the way, totally and utterly unable to save himself. And to the moment of peril, the wake up call happens. And in just a few words, he reads, I called to the Lord in that place. And he didn't abandon him. He didn't cast him out. He didn't throw him away. What did he do? The Lord answered. The Lord answered them. It's at that point that this restoration begins. The point of acknowledgement that whatever we've given our time, whatever we pursue, whatever uh, wherever that addiction has led us to, whatever um, sexual sin, whatever sinfulness, whatever prejudice, that, that we need grace of God for to help us do the very thing that we feel powerless to do. Which is to overcome and turn back to God in Christ. We need His grace. Jonah sits in the belly of a fish, sinking to high heaven, and even God only knows what condition at this point, and yet He reflects that you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. You did it, Lord. You did a work for me that I could not do. I have been banished from your side. I've brought this here, I've heard gone too far, and you were done with me, he's basically saying. But through a storm and a fish, for goodness sakes, how unlikely that God did in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Then he says, I've experienced your unfathomable grace towards me once again. I see that. You're raising my head to see you once again. And so he says, What I vow to you, I will make good. I will go and say, Salvation comes from the Lord. You see, the restoration we get with God starts at the place where the rebellion formed the city. That's what repentance is all about. It's specific, it has to be personal, and sometimes it's painful. It's returning to the presence of God when we've been away from it. You know, when we're living in consistent sin, often it feels like we're far from God, it's a, a farmers of our making. Our God wants us back. He wants us back. And he'll do anything to make it happen. He'll plunge us into the depths of the sea journey with us to get our attention if he has to. Also, he can restore us to his presence, to restore us to that closeness with him. There's also a tangible work of God, too. You know, it's from what he says. You know, it's often not until we really experience that grace of God for ourselves that we really get what living in him is all about. I'm no saint because I stand at the front of the church and talk about these things, right? Sinner saved by grace. We all are. But I knew what it was to 
You know, when I was 14 years old, I feel like mine. In a sense, I need to deal with them before God. Even though my head's from right here. But you would go with what God said. I'm not going with Saul. But there was a moment where God spoke and I knew I could ignore it. And he said, Come back to me. I wept and cried because I knew that I was away from God and I knew what he was doing to bring me back. And I knew it was on Jesus that that fell. I knew it was him who was leading me that way, giving me another chance, setting my feet upon a rock, and sending me forward from that point. Forgiven.
Thank you, Lord, even in a story like Jonah, which we might be so familiar with. 
saw even children who grasped and understand and love because of the story. But then ended even within those words. We can so clearly see Jesus. We can see his sacrifice, his love, his grace. But even though he wouldn't let Jonah be abandoned in the water he gets, but that he would send the means of rescue in the form of a fish. Save the man who is going astray. Lord, we know that your grace is at work and your grace is towards us. <laughs> and we pray, Father God, that you would speak to us. Help us, Lord, to go on that journey of transformation that you call us to. Whatever it might be, in our own individual way. Whatever you might have to say to us, Lord God, may we have the courage to turn back to you, to look to you, to trust you, to praise you, and to be amused by your wonderful, gracious spirit. We pray these things in your precious name. Thank you.